When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. The race is on, and the Formula One season finally gets underway in Bahrain this weekend, with pre-season testing making Max Verstappen and Red Bull the favourites. But with the race of development rapid, Ferrari close and Mercedes having performance to unlock, it's going to be an unpredictable season. And joining me to preview F1 2022 are Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. Well, Scott, hello. This is exciting, isn't it? We've not only got a new F1 season to enjoy, but this is also our first podcast as part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Yeah, that's very, very exciting. Hopefully um, it opens up the podcast to a few new people. We know that Formula One is starting to reach a a new audience, uh, a new audience now, a bigger audience some people that have um, maybe followed F1 a little bit in the past and want to follow it a bit more closely, some that are brand new to the championship. So hopefully, if any of those new fans do find us through The Athletic, um, we don't get too niche on this podcast, although sometimes maybe give a little bit more detail to the backmarkers than people <laughs> might otherwise expect from a from a normal podcast. But there'll be hopefully something for everybody on this podcast. So whether they're uh, new listeners or, or, or old listeners that have been with us from, from the very beginning, hopefully we're going to have loads to talk about this year because it should be a really exciting season. And just to reassure everyone, joining the Athletic Podcast Network won't impact how you listen, where you get your podcast from, and it's still free. So nothing will change from that perspective. Mark, this is our F1 season preview podcast, so it's all about looking forward. The past six or so weeks have been a flurry of car launches and testing as the real shape of F1 in 2022 started to reveal itself. New rules always bring uncertainty, but although a reasonably clear picture did emerge by the end of testing, this has to be one of the most unpredictable season openers we've had in a long time, doesn't it? Yes, and largely because of the new regulations and how they have brought um, a completely unexpected problem for the teams to solve, an aerodynamic phenomenon called porpoising. And it's absolutely fundamental to how competitive you are because you can't access the full theoretical downforce of the car if if the car is bouncing up and down on its suspension. And um, so teams are working like crazy trying to find that little sweet spot of their car on that track to that will allow it to um, get rid of the porpoising, but without dumping a load of performance at the same time. Yeah, that's going to be a huge talking point in the Bahrain weekend as well, as teams potentially can make little tweaks that might flick a switch and gain more performance and others might still be contained in terms of that pace. So there's lots of potential for things to shift around. But Mark, obviously last year, the title fight between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton was one of the great ones, wasn't it? It was a, a classic season. The fight raged from the first lap in Bahrain to that controversial last lap in Abu Dhabi. So what are the chances of 2022 producing a repeat of a Verstappen-Hamilton prize fight? Oh, I think over the season, they're pretty good. They think um, those two teams are still still the favourites, even though 
Red Bull had a much better final test than um, Mercedes did. But I think, and, and, and that pattern, I wouldn't be surprised to see that pattern carried through to this weekend. But I think the prospects uh, over the season of those two teams figuring in the, um, the the championship battle are very high. I don't see one, I don't yet see enough to believe that one team will dominate. And of course, we've got what looks to be a reasonably, um, not certain, but a, a, you could be quite confident of saying that Ferrari is probably going to join in this battle as well, just given the, given the form so far in of testing. Yeah, very exciting to have another team potentially in the mix. And for Mercedes, really, it's all about that porpoising, isn't it? There's great potential in that car, untapped potential, but they're having to run the car in a condition where they can't access all of it. So they'll be crunching the numbers in Brackley right now to try and understand if they can make a few tweaks to switch on that uh, that extra downforce. And who knows, they could suddenly be right there with Red Bull this weekend or it could take them a bit longer. But I'm inclined to agree with you, they will get there in the end. But Scott, that Hamilton-Verstappen dynamic, the drivers in particular, obviously last year was so preposterous in the way it played out, in the way it concluded. There's a real rivalry there, isn't there? And you've got one driver in Verstappen who'll be determined to build on that first title. And Hamilton, his great rival, wanting to fight back, get that eighth title and show that he's not to be put out to pasture after last year's defeat. Well, there was already an interesting dynamic between the two of them last year in that you had Verstappen as the the young pretender and Hamilton as the proven multiple champion. But it's undeniable that we go into this year with just so much more of a rich backstory between them. And that does add a really, really interesting layer to, to the championship because by the time the season ended last year and obviously with Verstappen winning the championship, it was very easy for him to become a bit more magnanimous. So I wouldn't say with massive certainty that that relationship has thawed that much. Um, there, sh- there should at least be a decent amount of respect between the two. Having said that, with the way that last year went, with the fact that Red Bull and Verstappen felt that once or twice Hamilton crossed the line. Obviously, the the main one there was the Silverstone incident that Hamilton was punished for and sent Verstappen into a huge crash. And then we all remember Abu Dhabi for very different reasons, but ultimately there was a controversy on the first lap of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix when Verstappen attacked Hamilton and Hamilton took to the runoff and was allowed to keep the position there was a feeling there that Hamilton had been a little bit of a sore loser and and had bailed out and been allowed to keep the place when Verstappen had caught him out. That's, I'm saying, sore loser from the perspective of Red Bull and Verstappen. But then clearly on the other side, there was a much more sustained issue from Hamilton's side with how Verstappen goes racing. Many, many races where he put his car in an aggressive position that forced Hamilton to take evasive action. And if Hamilton didn't take evasive action, they crashed. So how that lingers into this season, how that informs the way they race one another, how that informs how they react to one another as well. Like I said, it gives such a, just such an interesting layer to this season. There's a really, really intriguing personal dynamic between the two of them it's not just about will they both have good cars that allow them to race one another it's not about Verstappen trying to win another title Hamilton trying to reclaim his lost title 
just on a more much more personal level, there's a clash there and there will still be tension. It won't have been resolved just because there's there's been some time apart. I'm sure the first time they go will to will, there's every chance those sparks will fly again immediately. Do you think, Mark, that there'll be any shift in the way those two do battle this year? I'm thinking in particular in terms of one of the things about Verstappen's all-out attack approach is that we've talked in the past about maybe there are times when, not from a legitimacy of battling point of view, but just from a his own uh, his his own objectives point of view, there might be times when he backs out of it a little bit to, to live to fight another day. Silverstone was one example of that. It doesn't mean he caused the crash, but he was in a good position championship-wise. And maybe you might think the calculating driver might let that one go. Do you think Verstappen will have reflected on that and thought, well, actually, maybe I can further my own ends by taking a slightly more calculating approach at times? Or do you think he's going to stick with that all-out attack approach, which, to be fair, has actually served him really, really well? I think there's going to be an, an evolving dynamic between them because last year was the first year, although Max has been in Formula 1 for five years, last year was the first time they had more or less equal cars through a season and prior to that, Lewis had always had generally a better car than Max. So on the few occasions where they did go wheel-to-wheel prior to last season, Lewis very much aware that Max is a sort of all-or-nothing and very binary in his in his approach. Lewis has, uh, could afford previously to just give him, give him room. Anything marginal, he would just give him room. Because he, Max wasn't a championship threat. Lewis was trying to win world titles, and Max wasn't in that position. So, even though they were each aware that they raced slightly differently, wheel to wheel, it, it didn't. It, it wasn't a point that was um, that was forced into any sort of resolution until last last season, and it still it still hasn't really been revolved, resolved. So Lewis varies varies his approach. Sometimes he gives space. Uh, sometimes he will absolutely stubbornly just do a Verstappen impression and say, absolutely not. And inevitably there are p- the flashpoints of, of contact. So I think Lewis is probably going to continue to play it uh, quite tactically in that way. And what Lewis is also very good is going very right to the very, very edge of that, that grey line between what's legal, what's acceptable, and what isn't. And he's so good at just treading that line. And it was something that his former teammate, Nico Rosberg, found so hard to, to deal with. And since retirement, it, Nico said he was just as good at doing that as he was at, at driving the car and, and being being quick. And that's what made him so almost impossible to compete against because you knew that he could tread that line so carefully. And if you tried to retaliate, you inevitably ended up going over that line. And so I think that's still going to be a major part of Lewis's game. It's going to be tactical when he uses that approach and when he doesn't. And it's really up to Verstappen how he handles that. I suspect... Max will uh, probably just hunker down and still just be adamant that his his way is the the only way. 
Um, it's how he's always raced. It's it's just it it is, it is almost binary. If um, if it's marginal, he takes the initiative. Um. So I think really, if 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 the cars end up being evenly matched again through the season, it's um it it's something that uh, Lewis will will use that that uncertainty. It's just, I think something that he will use. Yeah, that's also partly the trajectory of drivers, isn't it? Lewis Hamilton took time to to learn that approach, and I can see Verstappen over time really mastering that as well. It's just a thing that comes with experience. You learn how to play those things to your advantage. So we're going to see probably over time Verstappen getting even better at that, becoming even more uh, of, a, of a threat as a driver. And he's already established as a as a great driver. He may only be a one time world champion. I say only, that's still a hell of an achievement, but there's little doubt Verstappen over the next 10, 15 years is going to rack up some pretty phenomenal numbers. He, he is a, a genuinely uh, great driver. Scott, we should talk a little bit about Ferrari because they did appear to be in the hunt on testing pace, maybe three tenths off on pace when you look at the long runs. So one big question is whether Ferrari has the potential to bridge that gap and emerge as a title contender or just be an occasional interference. But the other fascinating question is that intra-team battle between Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc. So who do you expect to be Ferrari's spearhead and what could they achieve? Well, I think because he's got that extra little bit of experience within the team and I think he is just fractionally a faster driver overall, a more explosive driver, I would go with Leclerc. My gut would, would tell me Leclerc. But that doesn't mean they don't rate signs really highly and he did a fantastic job last season and I think he pushed Leclerc in a way that maybe even Leclerc and Ferrari didn't think that he would. If that car is capable of fighting for poles and especially wins, I think we will. I think we will see Carlos uh, in in that position. We 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 saw last year that for all of Leclerc's brilliance, it was signs who sometimes maybe a little bit out of fortune. Sometimes with Leclerc having a bit of misfortune, but signs was the one who grabbed bigger results. So when it's just he just strikes me as the kind of driver that you can rely on when there's a little bit of when there's a little bit of chaos around when you need a driver to just be sensible smart strong when he needs to be quick when he needs to be and be there at the end signs is a really really good op- option to have but i i do just think if i was picking one of them to do a qualifying lap to save my life i'm picking leclerc so, and I and I think if you then have a car that's that quick over the course of a season, so are they going to be challenging for pole position every race, wins every race? I think you're going to get a bit more consistency from signs, but you're going to get those sort of explosive wow moments from, from Leclerc. And over the course of a long season, it'd be very interesting to see which of those actually won out. But I just think that Leclerc, I feel like he's ready to try and rise to the challenge. And I'd be just, it'd be really, really interesting to see how he handled a, a title situation, for example. What I really like about that combination is how complementary the skills are. They've got all bases covered and they will push each other in areas where they're deficient, shall we say. And I think that Leclerc is having to broaden his game because of what Science has done. And, and Science has had to really push himself on that 
just sheer speed that Leclerc can deploy. He's admitted to being pretty amazed by what Leclerc can do. So that that's a that's a great combination, but it's also potentially Mark a volatile one, isn't it? You never really know what can happen between teammates until you put them into a position where they could be fighting for the title. These two do seem to get on very well. They work well together. But it could be very, very different if that Ferrari is good enough and can make that last little step to be good enough to be uh, a title contender because then it'll be a hell of a fight between those two to see who is the front runner. Yeah, it becomes a different game if the car is a a championship contending car. Um, When it's not, you're you're working towards getting the team to the front and you're working together and you're pulling each other along. And yeah, you're still competing, but you're not, there's no intensity to that competition. And and it's, you're sort of pulling each other along to try and reduce the gap to the front. Once you got to the front, you then have to redefine your own um, personal barriers and your own competitive barriers and that's that's where it becomes a lot more intense and that's when uh, flashpoints and resentments can build up and that's where the team management needs to be quite strong to prevent the team dividing into two camps even though that it's inevitable in that situation that the drivers are you know absolutely intense in their competition with each other but you've got to get it so that the two camps are not and that's that's going to be Mattia Binotto's job if the car is as good as um, as it seems it might be. Yeah, and it is interesting, the dynamics across the teams at the front, because you've got Ferrari that is very much a two-car team. You've got Red Bull with Verstappen. It's not that Perez doesn't get the equipment. He's got equal opportunity, but Verstappen is very much the spearhead there. Perez is there to be the support act. Then at Mercedes, you've got something that could end up going either way, couldn't it, Scott? Because Lewis Hamilton's the established star, but George Russell is very, very quick. And he's a very ambitious and intelligent driver who will want to go in there and be there. So you could end up with quite an interesting dynamic with one team in Red Bull that's got that's got its its focus on one driver and the other teams maybe could have divided loyalties almost. Yeah, it's um, Red Bull very much moved towards what um, Mercedes have enjoyed the last few years where you have a a really, really top draw lead driver and a a de facto number two. Red Bull's never going to call Checo the number two driver, just like Mercedes never wanted to declare that Valtteri Bottas was Hamilton's former wingman. But that is a situation that arose it allowed the team to work harmoniously allowed them to maximize it from a team perspective but then individually as a driver Hamilton's championship challenges or pushes they were never compromised and it brought the best out of him we're seeing that now with Verstappen because I think Perez is just being a bit more or or should be a bit more than what Alex Albon or Pierre Gasly were so it's a bit closer to that Hamilton Bottas dynamic whereas Mercedes have gone away from that they've gone towards what Ferrari now have Ferrari ironically previously being one of those teams that very much had a a clear number one driver and a a number two so it is an interesting shift what I'm curious to see depending on how Mercedes start the season is how that Hamilton Russell dynamic plays out if them if they are on the back foot and there's stuff that they have to work on with the car to unlock the true performance of the W13 how much 
is that actually going to potentially help the Hamilton-Russell dynamic? A little bit like what Mark was saying earlier. When when you've got a common goal, it's in the it's in a teammate's interest to work with their teammate because the 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 better the team can do, the 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 more harmonious that dynamic, the more the more joined up everything is inside the team. The quicker the the team can then improve the weaknesses. If the team start on the back foot, then it's obviously going to be for Hamilton and Russell to work as well together as possible. If they start fighting for poles and victories straight away, I would expect Russell to be, you know, nipping at Hamilton's heels pretty quickly, especially in qualifying because he's very, very fast over over one lap. That is where instant needle can can develop. And then you've got a tension from the very beginning. So is this going to be an, a way for Mercedes to have a sort of slightly softer introduction for that working relationship or is it going to be the worst of all worlds where you have a slightly tricky car performance not quite where it needs to be Russell hungry to prove himself Hamilton not wanting to be knocked off his perch within the team and tension developed that way I don't know I don't think it would go that way because Hamilton's experienced he's got the team's best interests as well as his own interests um, in mind and I just think he's a slightly different person and experienced driver to when he was at odds with Nico Rosberg and Russell's playing the long game there as well he doesn't want to do anything to hurt himself longer term so I don't really see that they would fall out but it is just interesting because there's a lot of different ways that that can go and it it might all hinge on how how highly performing that car is in the first few races. Mark are you fairly confident Russell is going to be a strong performer we know how good he is so he should be in the mix yeah, absolutely. We know how he stacks up to Valtteri Bottas, not just from that one-off race that he did in Sakia and in 2020, but also um, from the when when he's been in the car and talking to people inside the team about his performances. We we know that he's a stronger performer than Valtteri, and we know that on occasion Valtteri could push Lewis very hard, though not over a full season. So yeah, I, I'd be amazed if there wasn't a, an instant very strong. A competitive element between between them. Um, now, George is the the team's future, and Lewis is its past. But they they're both the present. They're both the team's present, and that that's a very delicate dynamic to manage as well. And you know, he, he, the the last thing that the team wants to be doing is subjugating George and making him feel like he's a a wingman or a number two and not giving him equal opportunity. So I don't think that will happen. He will get absolutely equal opportunity. And really, it's, it's Mercedes is just through its choice of drivers, not in the way that it operates. It's operated consistently all the way through. Both drivers start out with equal opportunity and whoever is establishing himself as the championship threat then gets the priority. And that's just logical. And that's the way it's, it's always been. And And if... Neither, if if neither one of them is is the obvious uh, championship contender, and they're both contending for it, though they will get equal service. So it's 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 gonna. I would suspect it's gonna revert to how it was when Nico Rosberg was there, and the 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 pattern that you will see will, will I would imagine would be more like that than it was with um with with Valtteri there. So. Yeah, I think um, who's who's quicker. We we don't know. We, we that, I think that's j- just because one one guy has won 
over 100 races and multiple championships, that doesn't count for anything in the moment. Um, that, that's what happened in the past. And you've got another guy coming in with a vast potential uh, who will who'll want to be laying his own markers down. And that's just that's just how it works. It's just so tantalising on paper, isn't it? Because we've got those three teams we've mentioned. Maybe they could all, all be in, in contention. You've got so many high-quality drivers there. It's been a long time since there have been so many good drivers, potentially with winning machinery, at the front of the field. Now, it may not play out that way, and there's lots of opportunities for performance swings and, and things to change, but just such a great prospect. Let's have a look at McLaren now. They had a very difficult test in Bahrain. The car fundamentally looks pretty quick, certainly was able to show Mercedes level of pace, if not even a fraction better at times in testing. So, Mark, does McLaren have the potential to be a player in the title fight we've just been talking about? Whether it's a title material, I'm not quite sure, because it's it's it's, it's going to have to be consistently the sort of... What it what it showed last year was that on its good weekends it was absolutely able to run with the front of the pack, and on one occasion it converted that into a lovely one-two result. But there were about at least half of the races last year where it was a significant gap away from that level of performance, and it would be not unusual for it to be half a minute behind at the end of the race, even though that might be a podium place. So. Yeah, we've yet to be, we've yet to have that put to the test. Whether it's, yeah, the car looks good in testing, brake problems aside in Bahrain, it looks quick. It hasn't got the porpoising of the other cars. It does look at a very tidy package. And then Lando Norris, it has a fantastic young driver, um, you know, absolutely ready to win Grand Prix. Whether it's going to be there race in race out is is something that's yet to be established that would be the next stage of evolution of of mclaren's recovery if it can achieve that yeah mclaren have actually talked about 2024 as the first season when it should have everything in place it's invested heavily in infrastructure there's a new wind tunnel coming that's the big long lead time project and the 24 car will be designed using that so Anything McLaren achieves in terms of being at the front this year is almost doing it a little bit early, but it has been on the up, did win a race last year. So hopefully they'll be hanging on to the coattails. Scott, Mark mentioned Lando Norris, fantastic young driver, ready to win. But Daniel Ricciardo is an established, slightly older driver, had a pretty horrible season last year, despite that win at Monza. Do you think it's job done, Norris is now the lead driver in that team, or do you think Ricardo's got it in him to to hit back and, and be at his level or even try and get back, well, I say back ahead of him, get back ahead of him, which is where kind of people expected he might be at the start of last season? Yeah, I think it's too early to write Ricardo off, especially because last year was slightly special circumstances and obviously a very short pre-season as well. Um, I think it was quite an illuminating year for Ricardo. I think he had to learn some stuff about how he drives that he didn't know before. I think he's admitted that he's not necessarily the most data-driven of drivers in such specific terms as knowing how he went quickly. I think he only discovered that for the first time last year. So if he's put that into practice and the car's a little bit more to his liking anyway, 
then I don't see any reason why we can't see the Ricardo that was so so compelling at times at Red Bull and looked really good, especially in his second year in in the Renault. So I would like to see Ricardo as someone who can be on Norris's level and and give McLaren a really really impressive driving lineup. But it's not going to come easy, and it's been complicated by his preseason being significantly compromised. You know, he didn't drive at all in the in the second test in in Bahrain because um, he was ill, and it turned out that he had. COVID-19. Um, so he goes into the start of the season with one and a half days in the car in Barcelona where there wasn't performance work being done. So I kind of feel sorry for the guy. He he comes in with a bit of external pressure. There'll be a lot of internal pressure, not from McLaren, from Ricardo himself, because he's such a... All he wants to do is compete. He's not here to make up the numbers. So he'll be piling the pressure on himself in a different way to go out and get the job done. And a big part of that process was going to be his one and a half days in Bahrain to really start to understand the car and, and make sure he starts on on a, you know, in, in a really strong way. And instead, he goes into the season on the back foot. It's just, a, it's just not a good way to, to start the process of trying to recover from last year. Yeah, he's also got the clock ticking by. You know, he's, what, 12 years older than Lando Norris? And he's, it's it's a, a bad time. Last year was a bad time to be hitting a, a stumble stumble in form against his teammate. Um, you've got two brilliant young drivers in America, um, Pato Award, who's already tested, uh, Colton Herter. These guys sort of bubbling around, looking to, to break into Formula One. I, I think, you know, I, I, I'm quite confident that Daniel will... will bounce back and that is specific problems from last year um will will dissolve but uh, he needs to have a really really convincing and impressive season to uh, shore up his place yeah and he certainly got the capability we know how good he is but i think as scott was alluding to the hope will be that that last year the difficult experience will have actually made him better in the in the long run made him a a more rounded driver but there remains to be seen Obviously, McLaren had their braking problems in the Bahrain test. We talked about that at length in our, our final testing podcast. They will have a fix for that for this weekend in Bahrain. It's going to be very, very hot. It's no surprise if I look out the window. It's very, very deserty out there. So the key question will be whether they can genuinely solve that for this weekend because if not they're going to be in some trouble because they couldn't do long runs and race distances they were (laughs) limited to largely short runs but we are pretty convinced that that's a good tidy car that should be able to keep them clear of the midfield but we might not necessarily see them at their best in Bahrain this weekend as a result. Well, Scott, testing suggests the midfield pack is extremely condensed, enormously difficult to predict. Pretty much all the teams we've yet to talk about seem to be in it in about the same place on pace. Now, Haas is the really interesting one, isn't it? They had a really difficult first test, then actually a very impressive second test, not just in terms of the single lap times that they showed, but also on on long runs. Does last year's back market team really have the potential to be up there leading that bunch. Yeah, it does, because that's what it was doing a few years ago. Like It, it has the potential as an organisation to do that. 
We know it leans heavily on its Ferrari relationship. It takes absolutely everything the regulations allow it to take from Ferrari. So it can have a reasonable confidence that core architectural components of the car are to a very high quality and have been designed well and, and should perform well. Then its emphasis is obviously on how it then maximises basically the aerodynamic side of things. They've got a new design office in place, a slightly different design structure now to try to maximise that. They turned, they, they didn't do any 2021 development. All their focus has been turned to 2022 for a long time now. They've had as much wind tunnel time or and, and CFD work as any team, I believe, over the last 12 months because they would have, I believe, inherited the 10th place position in the second half of last year because I think they were last going into... Yeah, it was them and Williams that shared the maximum amount because of what you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah this, this is the way the aerodynamic testing restrictions work in Formula One, which is a new system that was introduced at the start of last year, flipping the championship table, basically, and giving the worst teams the most amount of aerodynamic testing. The idea being is that over a longer period of time, this will obviously balance out and make the grid nice and competitive season to season, effectively, and just give every team the chance, even if you've struggled for a little bit, to, to bounce back. Haas has been an early beneficiary of that. So you combine more wind tunnel and CFD work than anyone else, the ability to just switch off and put absolutely everything into this car. The fact that it does, even though it's a unique and you might say slightly complicated compromised structure, bases in the US, UK, Italy, it does work. We've seen it work before. We're already, I'm already hearing some noises similar to what we heard at the start of 2017, 2018 about the Ferrari Haas relationship and oh, you know, Haas is just a Ferrari clone and oh, that's the reason they're quick is because of this Ferrari tie-in. So that wouldn't happen if the car didn't look quick. That's I find that quite interesting. So I abs- I'm not saying they're going to go out and finish fourth or fifth in the Constructors' Championship and be in Q3 every weekend. But, but if that midfield group does play out the way it looks, which is four, five, six teams covered by a few tenths of a second, that's capable of shifting weekend to weekend depending on track characteristics, conditions and how a, how good a team, how good a job a team does in maximising the tyres and, and, and just absolutely just operating at the highest possible potential on any given weekend. Hast is going to be in that group. I'm absolutely convinced of that. So they have as much potential as anybody to be fourth or fifth fastest team one weekend, but maybe scrambling to get out of Q1 the next weekend. Of course, the big question there, though, is they've had some disruption on their driver lineup pre-season. Mark, do you think they can survive losing Nikita Mazepin and having to replace him with Kevin Magnussen? I think it'll be okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> Kevin's um, a known quantity, a good solid driver, very quick, uh, very feisty in battle, and it's given the, 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 the world the opportunity to get a much better gauge on Mick Schumacher and Mick's target as an ambitious young driver in his second season has got to be to dominate Magnussen and that's that's not a simple task because Kevin's pretty good if he can dominate Magnussen his career Mick Schumacher's career suddenly gains a whole lot of momentum and he becomes a very interesting prospect indeed Um, it's one thing dominating um, a a fellow rookie like he did last year but it'd be quite another to do that over a, an established known quantity like Kevin. Yeah, and I think that enforced change in terms of Magnussen coming in for Mazepin has dramatically changed the picture for Haas because it does produce, it does give them a known quantity 
who can bring his experience to bear on the team. I think that's a very, very positive move for them. But Mark Alpine is an interesting one. Had a pretty good single lap time at the end of testing. Fernando Alonso obviously put that in. And when he came back with Alpine, it was all about the opportunity presented by the new regs in 2022. So do you think the car and team is up to giving Alonso what he came back for? Not yet. No, I haven't seen anything yet that suggests they're anything other than um, a, a good member of that upper midfield battle. And if they get everything together, they can squeak into Q3, which is where we've been used to seeing them um, the last season or two. Because uh, the new, f- could the new formula represent the opportunity to evaporate that gap between the front of the pack and and, and them? Yeah, in theory, but I, I I've not seen any sign of it yet. I I think the early early races have got the potential to be quite chaotic. And there's reliability concerns because of the porpoising. This is not just out. This is everyone. Um, there's there's a there's a lot that's not known about what's going to be the best way to run the race tactically. Now that overtaken may be a, a lot better. There's uncertainty about how the tires are gonna the new tires are gonna behave. So I think there is opportunity here in these early races for a really smart race operation like Alpine has and a really smart, savvy driver like Fernando Alonso is to really um, come up and, and, and produce a surprise result. I, I suspect their best opportunities this year are going to come in these early races, not later on. Yeah, that could very, very well be true. And of course, Esteban Ocon is a Grand Prix winner and was there with Alonso last year, showing good level of performance. So they've got two decent drivers as well there. Decent is slightly underplaying it, but yeah, strong driver lineup. Scott, should we move on to Aston Martin? Because they kept a really low profile in testing. But after last year's struggles, it does seem there's a competitive car in there, even if we haven't seen it in plain sight, you could say. So what are you expecting there, particularly with Sebastian Vettel's future up in the air? Yeah, it's going to be very interesting, actually, to see um, just how much the team has been. I want to say, I want to say, holding back, but I, d- I don't mean that in terms of you know them sandbagging, deliberately hiding their pace. I mean, you you two will know better than me, but th- this is a team as Team Silverstone that just it it doesn't it doesn't go for glory runs in in testing. I had a little look back actually, where I, I wrote something that's run on the race this week on like. The fact that it is F1's most low-key team and what it was up to in testing. And I went back years through the hybrid era and didn't find a pre-season in which it was like it ended pre-season higher in the times than it then proved to be in the races, if you see what I mean. It was always sort of the seventh, eighth team in in testing. And as we know that historically, this team has not finished that low in the championship. So it just does. Every team has its own program and they were they have their own methods. And this is Aston Martin's method. So... We didn't see them doing things like like low fuel runs at the same time as other people. We've seen glimpses of potential from the car on long long run pace. I think this is going to be a sort of a reset year for the for that team. I don't think we're going to see them leaping into podium contention that kind of thing. They might well get one or two over the year. We've 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 seen them do that already and. I would imagine they'll have a much more well-rounded and competitive car this year than they had last year, for example, and they still managed to 
to to finish in the top three a couple of times, although only one of them counted as a podium because obviously Sebastian Vettel lost that podium in Hungary. Um, so I think I think this will be a reset from last year when they struggled because of the regulation changes. This is a new concept. I think we're going to see their car heavily evolve through the year. They are one of the teams that has put an emphasis on not being boxed in on car design and they want to have freedom. They're already talking about having a car that looks very different in the wind tunnel to what we're seeing trackside. There have been some rumours about quite a big concept change coming mid-season. So I think this is going to be a year in which this team just makes sure it moves moves a few more pieces into the right place. Like McLaren, its big steps aren't going to be made in the short term. They're a few years away with massive, massive, massive infrastructure changes, brand new factory being built. So these next couple of years, it's just about making sure that they're doing the right things at the factory they've got at the moment. They're doing the right things trackside. They're developing strongly. They're being smart with their money. They're putting the the car into a position where it can punch above its weight for now so that when all of that other stuff comes on steam, they'll be able to basically punch harder. That's That's been their message for the last 18 months. I don't see anything that says that this team sort of can't make steps towards that this year. I think it will be a better year for Aston Martin than 2021, but I don't think they're going to have like I don't think they're going to have a season like McLaren had like the last year or two, for example. I think that should be their target, but I fear they might fall slightly short of that. Yes, yeah, a little bit early for them. Mark, what do you make of Vettel? We know how quick he can be. He hasn't always been in recent years the the Vettel of old. So what, what do you make of him? Is he really revitalised by these these new regulations? Do you think we'll see him more consistently put in those kind of Monaco, Baku-style drives that, where, where he really excelled last year? I think it's down to how how much he, desire he has um, to sort of re-establish himself fully post-Ferrari, post his Ferrari career. Um, if he's just sort of seeing out his time and... and enjoying being semi-competitive, then no, that's not going to be enough. Um, but if he is digging deep and is determined to um, invest a few more seasons in showing that he's absolutely back to where he once was, then, yeah, he has it within him. And his his weakness as, as a driver, he's quite a specialised driver, has always been... Uh, he doesn't handle uh, corner instability well. Um, he's he likes he, he likes the car to to feel secure. Now these these cars don't require the same things from the drivers as the previous generation cars, and in some ways they're they're simpler, um, but they're uh, they're more. Uh, Maybe agricultural is too strong a word, but they're they're more normal. They 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 understeer wide if you go in too fast, and they they power oversteer out if you if you try taking putting too much power on it. They, they, whereas the previous cars was all about the, the 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 rear ends were inherently quite weak, the fronts were, in, were were inherently strong. It's it's less it's it's a more it's more balanced now. But um, paradoxically, uh, probably a bit trickier because it's, it's there's a difference in behaviour between low speed and high speed. I think that set of demands is is better suited to Seb than the previous 
type of car that we had, where you had a very, very responsive front and you were trying to tame tame the rear to be able to keep up with the front. Um, I, I think if he is uh, of a mindset to really invest some years, um, then I think, yeah, he, he, can, he can again shine. But if he's looking upon this as his last season or his penultimate season, if, if those thoughts are already percolating towards the front of his brain, then and maybe not. My concern is that they might be because I one thing I did notice in the second test was quite a few comments from Seb about how heavy and cumbersome the cars are to drive. So yeah, while in racing trim and and actually when it comes down to it, they, as Mike was explaining there, it, it, there's no reason why he can't necessarily do well in these cars. But we've heard for a while Seb talking about wanting to he needs he wants to enjoy the racing and he's had doubts about the direction F1's headed in. He doesn't like how heavy the cars are. We know he's not been a, necessarily a massive fan of the the engine direction that it's taken. Success will always be, I think, his driving factor if he thinks he's got a decent chance of hanging around for longer and driving a car that he can fight for podiums in. I'm I'm sure Seb would stay, but I also get the impression that like it has to be something that he wants to do. And the fact that he has put this emphasis in the last week or two on the 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 feeling, the experience of driving these cars not being great, he I feel like a lot is riding on what how well these cars can race or how well drivers can race in these cars. Because he said when I spoke to him at the end of the final day of the test that while he doesn't like how lazy the cars feel, if they can follow more closely if the racing is more enjoyable it will be worth it but what's Seb going to think if he doesn't like the way the cars feel the racing isn't that much better and maybe if Aston's still on the back foot that's where I wonder if because yeah, ultimately Seb's not shutting down any question about whether this could be his last season and stuff he's basically he's like I, I haven't decided yet and he's laid some pretty pretty specific and clear criteria for what it will take for him to continue in Formula One so I'm a little bit concerned that that it's ultimately his decision I'm not concerned from the point of view of just like oh this is bad from Seb it's just I don't want I want to see a happy high-performing Vettel win the championship he's a great asset for Formula One I'd be sad if he walked away it would be bad for F1 if he walked away but I, I don't think that's the I don't think that's the craziest outcome from this season let's put it that way I see completely where you're coming from there it would be great to see Seb back at his best and it's still there in him and I hope we do see it, but it could really go either way. Let's move on to Alfa Romeo now, Mark. Valtteri Bottas is absolutely reveling in being the main man at Alfa Romeo after his five years as Hamilton's wingman, but he has admitted to being concerned about reliability heading into the Bahrain Grand Prix. So is he right to be worried and how quick do you think this car is? Uh, yeah, he's, he's right to be worried because it's... Um it had a pretty dismal first uh, run run out in barcelona um it's uh, it was it was much more respectable in terms of lap counts uh, in bahrain so they're obviously getting on top of it but they're still behind on mileage overall how quick is it well it's it's in that group it's in the, it's in the the, the six team group <laughs> that are all about on the same second potentially so it's not as quick as he made it look when he did that low fuel time on the on the final day. Um, when you look at its long run pace, it's it's 
towards the back of that group, but it's it the the, the, the gaps are so small that the order is almost irrelevant in, in in testing because if you're talking about less than a second spread between six teams, you know it's just down to how you catch a lap, really, where where you're going to put the car, it, with, with your, what the traffic's like, what the temperatures like, what the winds like. It, it, it's 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 just in the to an extent in the hands of the gods. So I think it's potentially in that mix, but it's um it's a little bit behind on preparation. But it, I don't think there's anything fundamentally wrong. I don't think there's any any inherent weakness in the car that where you know that's going to destroy its season. Yeah, they're happy with the baseline they've got, and they feel that they've gone into this new rules era without the problems they had going into the last major rules change in 2017. Bottas does, of course, have a rookie teammate, Scott, in Zhou Guan Yu. Now, I was chatting to their technical director, Yan Mon Show, the other day, and he said, oh, I don't think you, talking generically, the media rather than me specifically, are very fair about, uh, about him because he's a very good driver. He's made a good contribution, good approach. So how's Joe been getting on? It looks pretty good, to be honest. Um, I don't. I, I. I disagree that it's unfair. I don't. I don't. I haven't seen Joe get any kind of like really negative re- reaction. I don't think it's as. I don't think there's any kind of like. There's certainly no witch hunt against him. I don't think there's even been any kind of like concern over him in the way there was about Nikita Mazepin, for example, coming into Formula One. I think everybody. Everybody knows. That it, it's not about accepting it because there's nothing to accept. Everybody knows and recognises that Joe's a good driver. He, he's he's won races in in proper categories. Um, is he an absolute outstanding talent? I don't think so. Uh, ultimately, Alpha, there, there were two drivers from exactly the same F1 stable, uh, Joe and Oscar Piastri, both on the on Alpine's books last year. They were fighting for the Formula 2 title against one another. Joe was the more experienced one. Piastri was an F2 rookie. And Piastri quite comprehensively won that fight. So, yeah, you can argue, you know, team influence and stuff like that. I'm sure that does come into it. We know that Prem is a fantastic operation in in junior single-seaters. But it's about as straight a fight as you can get. And Joe lost it. So, it's not, again, it's not about questioning whether or not he's a, he can be a good Grand Prix driver, a solid Grand Prix driver. I think he can. Um, but he's not that kind of stellar, stunning talent. And that's all anyone's really said about him. So I don't think that's particularly unfair. Looking at Joe as a Grand Prix driver, I had the first chance of speaking to him in in, in person in, in Bahrain. Um, and he made a good first impression. He seems to have a, what, what really struck me, and, and this doesn't always happen, with drivers who step up to Formula One, there is um, he's got a decent combination of he gives a very good impression of someone who understands the situation he's in. There's no, he's not, he's quite level-headed, doesn't get carried away, but there is also an air of confidence about him. So that kind of tallies with what the message has been from inside the team. I feel like he has actually settled into that team quite well. He comes with a decent amount of F1 experience from private testing programs with, with with Renault and Alpine. So we know that it shouldn't be daunting for him to get into a Formula One car. But he's a he's an affable character, popular guy within the team. He's always been well thought of with the organizations he's worked on before. So I feel like he 
is putting his best foot forward in adapting to Formula One in a tricky situation in pre-season as well, given all of the problems that Alfa Romeo have had. So I actually, I, I, I think I think Joe's going to give a, a, a pretty good account of himself. I don't think it's going to be a repeat of Mazepin, where we knew that Mazepin had a reduced ultimate ceiling in terms of potential than even Mick Schumacher, for example, his teammate last year. But then Mazepin underperformed relative to his lower ultimate potential as well. With Joe, yeah, maybe he's not going to be a Leclerc or a Russell, but he's not going to be a million miles away from that level. And I also think he's got the capacity to achieve his potential in Formula 1. And, that, and that's a big difference. Not every F1 driver comes into F1 looking like that's going to be the case. Yeah, I think the really impressive thing with Joe is he's clearly got a good professional approach and the mental capacity seems to be there. He can handle it. I followed his FP1 outing for Alpine last year, followed it all the way through on board, spoke to him after, spoke to the team, and he was absolutely on top of everything. And I think that's something that will be very, very beneficial for Alfa Romeo, and and that's something that means he will make a valuable contribution to the team, whatever happens. Let's move on to Alfa Tauri now. Scott, Pierre Gasly and that team have become a formidable pairing in the past few years. The car looks good. Again, it's in this very vague midfield pack that we can't really put much shape or, or form to. So what are you expecting here, especially with Yuki Tsunoda in his second season? I think Pierre Gasly will still have to be the the leader of that team. Um, I don't. I'm expecting to see better things from Sonoda this year. I don't think he's going to quite step up to be on Gasly's level because I think Gasly is a very, very good midfield Formula One driver now. What exactly that team's capable of, I'm really not sure. They're always hard to peg because they they've been really consistent in terms of maximizing the opportunity available to them they take some parts from Red Bull they do some stuff themselves they don't go as far as the Haas Ferrari relationship for example but it's obviously completely up up to them because they're owned by ultimately the same organization but there's always there's always just sort of something holding them back isn't there just where they they look like they might be able to achieve more and then they just underachieve slightly but they're still sort of overachieving from (laughs) what you might have expected from them in in the first place, slightly weird situation for that team. Um, doesn't always quite come together. Um, so I'm hesitant to sort of make any specific prediction for them. Um, speaking specifically about Sonoda, I think it's important that he seems to have recognised the need to be a bit more professional, to be honest. Um, I think he's a, he's an interesting character. Um, is a fun personality and I don't believe that F1 should have like a you know prescribed you fit into this box as a person as a driver to to for you to be able to succeed in Formula One um, but Yuki did have to by his own admission force himself to be a little bit more professional you know with his training his habits his eat his diet that kind of thing he has had to up his game because he underestimated F1 at the first attempt he seems to have gone to great lengths, actually, over the last few months, to his credit, to, to do that. He's not all talk. I think he's followed it up with action. And I think there's a driver there with incredible potential. So if he can harness that, I think he can absolutely be nipping at Gasly's heels. And I think he can be someone who does give AlphaTauri... I think he can be someone who does give AlphaTauri a, a, a driver lineup that where both drivers can fight for points if the car's capable of doing it but I just think they'll still be relying on Gasly overall to lead the team. Yeah, I'd agree with that. They've got a good baseline there. And as you mentioned, they've got the 
Red Bull rear end, the suspension, the gearbox, obviously the Red Bull Honda power unit as well. So they should have the basics there, but it's their own aero philosophy as well. So yeah, we'll see how they get on. The car looks on track, honest and true, but just how quick it is. We'll have to see. Mark, our last team is Williams. They ended up off the back in testing, but those lap times weren't representative just because of the way the programs worked and when they did their low fuel stuff on the final day. But it was going pretty well through much of testing, but it was a little bit disappointing the way the last couple of days went. So what are your hopes for Alex Albon and Nicholas Latifi in that car? Again, it's in that group. So if they they get things together on any given qualifying session, um, it, I'm, I'm sure it can be in their pitching. And with with the rest of that group, and that group is... is, is, is if, if, if everything goes to form and the top four teams are as we think they are, there's going to be two places available for somebody else in Q3 and all the way down Q2 and all the way down Q1. Or, or the, there's, there's nothing in between the last two places in Q3 and, and being on the back of the grid. And I think, um, yeah, if, if uh, last week's testing had been a Grand Prix, then Williams would have been on the back row of the grid. But I, I don't think there's anything fundamentally there that says it, it will always be that way. The car looked reasonably well balanced. Um, it's, you know, the, the, the performance, the, the corner performance looked okay. It was just... They didn't. They didn't get a very good program together. They missed a whole chunk of track time with a fire. Um, operationally, they weren't looking like they were fully on top of things. But I think fundamentally, it's okay. It's it's not. Um, it it's not going to be sort of have that ceiling on it that it's it, it has had in the last few years. I think. Yeah, I think the point you make about that swing between being at the bottom of Q three and and out in Q one is is going to be fascinating this weekend there's going to be some very happy and very disappointed drivers from what we're calling the midfield pack although it all goes all the way down to the back as well uh come saturday evening here in in bahrain and of course there's all the imponderables that we couldn't judge in testing you had fuel loads engine modes everybody's upgraded their power unit packages this year of course the engine freezes kicking in so there's been a real push on that side so it's going to be in a few days we're going to get a real feel for where things really stand well scott looking broadly ever since this rules package was revealed way back in 2019 the talk has been about improving the raceability cars following more closely a more tight competitive spread we've got the cost cap as well playing a part in that the aero testing rules to try and make sure that those at the front don't disappear into the distance over the years as they develop more and more Based on the early signs, and that's just six days of on-track running in testing, how close do you think the FIA and F1 has got to their targets? And Do you think the on-track show is going to be all the better for it? The early suggestion is that it's they've done a, they've done a solid job. I've heard pretty much every driver say that following is better. Uh, there is un- undeniably still a loss of performance it was never meant to completely uh, eradicate the problem you you can't do that so i think that i think that's positive it's a little bit tricky to understand where the new 2022 tires are because ultimately everything comes down to the tires like if the drivers can't push without overheating or without sliding around on the tires overheating them and then having to back off 
then it's all going to be for nothing anyway. But it's it's tricky to judge that because even Barcelona was too cold, his Bahrain's too hot. And most of the run is done during the daytime as well, which is unrepresentative. So I think we need to, I think it would be unfair to judge F1's rule changes on the first weekend. I think it would be unfair to judge it on the first few races. I think we need a, a bigger sample set for that. And then looking past that, I think there has to be a long-term view with these regulations. This isn't about changing F1 entirely in one go, one winter. New rules come in, the new era starts fantastic and it's perfect forever. I think there's going to be a bit of a work in progress. We'll have to see how the rules evolve and whether or not there are more things that can be done to help the 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 cars follow more closely, whether there is ways that Pirelli, the tyre supplier, can do a better job to achieve its objectives on the tyre side. And then the broader, bigger picture stuff that you were talking about, like the, the, the budget cap that the biggest teams have had to slash their spending to meet, um, the the testing restri- aero testing restrictions that I talked about earlier that are giving the lower performing teams the 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 leg up in terms of development that stuff's again not going to change dramatically season to season it will have an impact it can't not have an impact but you're just you're looking at something that is meant to combine over a few seasons into making F1 much more of a level playing field it's meant to just get a take a bit of time to eliminate some of the lingering advantages that the biggest spending teams have still had for the last few years, for countless years, that will still linger a little bit into the start of this new era. So it will take time. It should be something that is seen as the starting point for this new era. It isn't, there, there cannot be definitive conclusions drawn over the next few months, but it should be, it should be something there has to be signs of, of, of it working and then hopefully it can be a process that evolves and just makes F1 stronger and stronger. Yeah, it's probably quite a sensible position to take on it, that it's not the complete answer, but it's the foundation of the answer, almost, we should say. What do you think, Mark? I'm, I'm looking forward to the volatility as, as as the teams work out where everything is, because it, it, eventually it, it, it all converges and everybody optimises because they fully understand the requirements, but I think in these early stages, as we we're talking about before, with the with the tires, with the uh, the the overtaking, we're going to see a different style of racing. There's going to be different levels of pace management, probably less pace management than we had before. There's going to be um, the the you're not necessarily going to base your strategy up, uh, 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 making places up around the undercut or the overcut of the pit stops. You the, the, you might be able to do it before then or after then. So you're not going to be so quite constrained in in, in your, your your windows, your strategic windows. And I think until the teams and drivers are really got a, a really good solid handle on that, and that'll take a few races um, of, of you know data gathering and, and and understanding. I think until that um, pans out, we're going to see probably a, a, a bit of variability in it. I'm, I'm quite looking forward to that. Well, anything that creates some uh, some variables for teams to try and understand is always good, certainly in the short term. And then, yeah, things will settle down longer term, definitely. But it's great that we've got such a finely poised and unpredictable foundation in terms of the testing pace. As we said, Red Bull and Max Verstappen, if there was a Grand Prix weekend held last weekend, you would say, yeah, it would have been a Red Bull 
at the front, probably a Max Verstappen win, but who knows what will have changed in the interim. Mercedes will be fighting back, Ferrari making progress, McLaren fixing their problems, and there could be some surprises from elsewhere. So that's what this time of the season is all about, isn't it? It could be so special. I remember last year, we were just hoping that Red Bull and Mercedes would genuinely both be in the mix, and then that that fight would last the whole season. It almost seemed too much to hope for, but it did happen. Okay, there was some controversy right at the end, which the uh, the FIA was uh, was largely responsible for. But it was a classic season. Just went every single race, knowing that those two were going to be at it, and it could be even better this season. So, thanks very much to Mark Hughes and Scott Mitchell for your insight. As always, the three of us will be there every step of the way during the 2022 F1 season, starting off with the first race here in Bahrain. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen as there's plenty to read there about the new season and give some of the races other podcasts a shot. Bring Back V10s, which tells classic F1 stories, is now in its fifth season. And also give our YouTube channel a try. It's going to be a great season, so stay with us on the Race F1 podcast for everything you need to know about the 2022 F1 season. The Athletic.